All right, so here we are with Jack Owen, the Honey Badger. How are you doing, my friend? Amazing or nickname, love that. <laughs> I'm doing fantastic, thank you. Where did <laughs> Honey Badger come from? Talk to me. I love that nickname so much. Um, it was back back when I first started MMA about sixteen, sixteen, um, and kind of I was at the gym a bit, but I wouldn't I'd spar with anyone, so we had Tim there and. Uh, Tim Wild and we had different people coming in and I weren't afraid of no one so and then there was a year later stemming on from that there was that I don't know if you remember that um, YouTube video about the Honey Badger and it was um, kind of a guide yeah Yeah. and from that I watched that video and then they said oh you kind of look like one oh thanks (laughs) and then they said you've got the attitude of one you feel as you ain't bothered about fighting anyone We'll just put anyone in front of you. And I was like, yeah, then. So from then on, it, it stuck with me and ended up getting the uh, tattoo on my uh, 21st birthday. So, how did it all start? Actually, before we get stuck and before I forget, I think it's something I want to bring up. So, you might have used one of the pictures on one of your stories a little while ago, which I thought was felt like quite famous actually. You used oh, um, which, which one was that? It's when I was in a, in a triangle. You're like, guess what we're learning tonight? I was like, hey, that's me. That was my triangle. <laughs> oh, feel, I remember that. I feel yeah. famous. I feel famous. Cheers oh. <laughs> 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 at my triangles. Anyway, that's what I claim to fame there. Oh, um, on that note, so regards to MMA and your journey, how did it all start? How did you get stuck in? Uh, well, I did judo from the age of four. And... Um, my dad wanted to toughen me up because I was, I got picked on a lot and I got bullied quite a, quite a lot because I'm being dyslexic and dyspraxic. So my spelling wasn't very good. Um, I kind of, I still do it now. I read words and I, I read how I think they're meant to say, not how they're supposed to sound. So I, st- I used to get picked on at school a lot for that. So my dad taught me to do that. And then 15, I just uh, played the Olympic squad. I've just done some training with them. And I've come to the end of it, really, with my judo. I kind of had enough. And then UTC opened up down the road. Uh, John Robertson just refurbed it. And then I ended up going down there, doing a session. Got punched in the face with a four-inch club and never looked back. <laughs> kind of uh, started the journey from there. <laughs> okay, so also I am dyslexic and dyspraxic, so shout out to the gang. There we are. Represent yeah. Dyslexic gang. You know what <laughs> Good thing to spell MMA, that's always a good start. So with, um... <laughs> I don't know why I laughed at that, was awful. Um, with your training then, so how long, with that transition, did you go, Did you still train judo at that point when it came to the striking, or would you just sort of flip between the two? So I was still part of uh, an excellence programme, the last of its kind, at, um, on a college programme, so it was like an MVQ course, and I was still doing judo alongside, so I'd do judo during the day, go to lessons at college during the afternoon and then um, try and pick my English and my maths up and then also do my own sports work. And then on the night, I would train uh, MMA. So I'd literally be from nine o'clock till nine o'clock and, well, half nine until I got home. And then there'd be competitions most every weekend still. I was still competing. And then um, we started, uh, John started me about six months into that programme, started me doing... um, competition so I started doing into clubs all over the country in Reading and Birmingham and everything so I never really had a day off 
So uh, the last good, 10 years I've been, tr- I've been fighting and training, and I've never really had that time to, to sit down and think about it. It's always been a nine to nine kind of job instead of a five to nine. <laughs> or nine to five. <laughs> when it came to, so I'm going to sort of jump around timelines a bit. So when it came to learning judo to sort of help with being bullied at school and dealing with that in itself, how did you find that help your sort of school life as such? Did you feel it made much of a difference? Did you feel like it was more of a building a foundation as such? How did you find it affected, I don't know, school life? Well, it, it gave me a confidence about myself that I could, I could walk through the school hall and not feel like that someone's going to turn around and like pick on me every 10 minutes. I felt like that I could socialise and interact with people without feeling like I'm going to say the wrong thing or come out with something that they would feel like was silly or stupid kind of thing like that or like read something out loud into a class I felt actually felt confident in doing it for once instead of um, being that scared kid that didn't really want to speak in front of the class because he's afraid that as soon as the class door would open that he'd get picked on again or that he didn't belong in a certain area because you know you have the popular kids and, and all those social circles and I fitted in you know like literally i I'd bounce around and try and find my own place and judo kind of give me that place in, in time. Um, it, it gave me the confidence to be able to be myself and be able to develop as a, as an individual instead of trying to fit in because it's for, for my personal, um, for my personal experience, I've, I've never fit in. Hence why I'm always, a bit different <laughs> see so that's yeah, an interesting concept that in itself like not fitting in as such in a certain way like you get that with certain people but sometimes at different stages of their lives like friends i've had at school who i didn't really get on with that well i speak to you now and i'm all right with and vice versa people i don't like anymore you sort of see, <laughs> see what they're actually like you're looking at you because yeah, i don't want to talk to you and you get those couple of people throughout <laughs> life anyway but what's really i don't know quite hit it quite home a little bit of like saying when you're trying to read out loud and people take the piss and stuff it's a bit like how are you meant to learn at that point because you're meant to make the mistakes you're meant to do this stuff and not get like ridiculed you're meant to like okay oh you don't say it this way you do it this way okay you learn but if you can't if you're not in an environment to then nurture that way how did you take when it came to being in a martial arts class environment being more hands-on did you feel more confident in asking questions or is it more just you get corrected proactively. How did you find managing those sort of situations? Um, I was quite quiet in in a sense of like, uh, so with the classroom and that, obviously being worried about speaking out loud when it first comes to being doing mixed martial arts, kind of, I was really quiet and I didn't know how to be again because I didn't sure how it was going to be because of after all the experiences in my life of being at school and getting picked on, I wasn't sure being in the, this kind of gym environment how I was going to feel, but actually grew. It became like a home. It became the one place that in the whole entire world I could walk into that gym or any martial arts gym and feel like I belong there, feel like I'd not just fit in that I was a piece of the puzzle on that. I could actually not only exist in a, in a way that would benefit others to train with, to, to work alongside, to, to even grow and evolve in there in my knowledge of my judo to their knowledge of striking or someone else's knowledge of wrestling or wall wrestling or any kind of piece you fit together whereas at school and that everyone was too busy being selfish trying to 
point out the to me point out like the the kid who who weren't gonna do it and through that whole entire life of like school and college like because of everything that I had to go through they kind of all ripped me off they all ripped me off I wasn't going to go to uni they all ripped me off for college they all ripped me off that I wasn't going to be a successful athlete because of the detriments I had but yeah I found martial arts and it's it's given me a life it's 100% given me a life given me an understanding and given me a future that I couldn't I'll, I'll if you spoke to me about 10 years ago about this kind of stuff I would have said to you I don't know where I'm going to be but 10 years on I've, I've got so many people that have helped me through it and I've actually been able to have a life now I can say I've got a future even with all the stuff that's going on now I know as soon as things quiet down I'm going to be straight on that fighting straight on whatever promotion wants me and straight away grafting for my future this is what I, this is my life <laughs> There's a few things in that I think is really, really poignant, especially for people listening now who are currently at school and struggling with these situations, is that when you're surrounded by these people who will focus on your downfalls and your insecurities and these bits and bobs to try and cope their own sort of issues up, that's not constructive. And if you take in a martial arts class versus a normal sort of school class, the concept of we're trying to learn an information from an instructor, we're trying to grow and develop to build our skills, the only difference is when you're in that martial arts environment, people are more proactively trying to help you and not trying to put you down. Depending on the people, obviously, but as a whole statement. But at school, often you'll find people going through different sort of hormonal changes because obviously everyone's going through school and different worlds going on and this kind of shit. But it's so easy to get put in that box of, okay, that's the cool one, that's the sporty one, that's the one who's like not all there, that one's this, that, and the other. It's the one, you know, the one who smells, the one who needs a shower, you know, that one, the one who picks his nose. Yeah. <laughs> that was a few of those, I'm not sure which one's which. <laughs> here we go and um and on top of that as well the way you answered that is so powerful of if you asked if i asked you 10 years ago you wouldn't know where you were you wouldn't know where you'd be but you've almost said that in the same way now but you said it was so much more like it's not a feeling of being lost it's like i've got open opportunities because it's the same situation i don't know where i'm going to be doesn't mean i'm lost with despair it's I have opportunities, I have this horizon. And that kind of perspective and that kind of maturity takes a lot of development. Like it's not something that can be taught as such, it's something you have to experience. Yeah, hundred percent. It's 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 took a long time to for me, it took a long time at, at the start, especially like watching the UFC and watching all these different fights and you think to yourself, Oh, one day I wanna be there and then turns around a couple of years later you you gone to a professional and then it's like oh this this could be a reality you know you, your parents aren't quite sure i mean they're, they're, they're both my mom and dad have both supported me even when they, they spill up and that and there's been a lot of things that have happened um in my own life that has been like little battles that we all have but um when you when you finally make that mark and that professional moment i can finally call myself professional which i have done and fought many times now it's it's it just gives you that that future and for a lot of people that not only at school leaving and might be doing martial arts now like they can make a future if they so if they want to it, it, a lot of it's just if you want to if you enjoy something you might as well do it it's um i know with job i've talked about it there's like a lot of people go go and do like getting jobs and they're just doing it for the sake of it but i chose to do something i love and i can call it my job like that, that's something 
among anything, I'm very proud of doing. And I'd say a lot, a lot of people, especially if they, they feel like they don't fit in, there's always a place at a martial arts school, definitely. And no way mixed martial arts has ever seen anyone from any background ever not finding their place. Everyone has their own place they can make out of it. It is so admirable seeing someone, the way you've described it as well, it's so... Gave it goosebumps actually that kind of like you know you're sort of struggling a bit but you're doing what you love it's not that kind of like you know you're not stuck in an office because you have to and trying to work around it now you thinking do you know what fuck it it's still going to be hard i'm going to struggle but i want to do what i love and that is so powerful and like it's it's got so much more worth behind it as well to actually get up and want to do what you want to do like fighting's fucking thankless but it's good that you're loving it and you're getting stuck in it like i'm amateur level at the minute and it's thankless enough as it is like, I'm not getting paid for it. <laughs> I'm making a loss when I fight. <laughs> but I've got to love it all the same. I remember that. <laughs> the same kind of love, though. I'd never, ever um, change it. No matter how many bruises I've had, no matter how many times I've felt like I've been battered, or how many times I've felt like, Jesus Christ, that was a that was a crap session. Like, I'd, I'd always want to go back the next time and think, well, I'm going to put this right, or... If I want this, this is what I've got to go through and it's going to hurt. I'm going to have to live on nothing. I'm going to have to think about where I'm going to have to live. I'm going to have to travel and all them sacrifices that you make to, to get to where you want to be. It's just little hurdles that will again make make a massive difference if you're willing to do it. Some people just think it's, especially now that it's been the Conor McGregor era and, and people like that have all, and I'm going to say, but it. Or I'll just think it's some fashionable sport that's, you know, glamorous and that's all the highlights, all the money and everything. You can be the next the next big thing. And yeah, you can, but there's no point changing your personality, changing you as a person. Like if you're truly who you are as a person, people will people wanna see you fight, people wanna support you, people wanna have that emotion behind you regardless. Like it doesn't it doesn't matter whether you you've got a Big right hand, big left hand, you're great. So it doesn't matter. People want to fight, want to see you fight because you love to fight and it's who you are. People invest in who you are, not trying to be the next big thing. Yeah, it's great. It, it looks brilliant and it's glamorous. But for me, um, being me is what's going to get me to where I'm going to get. I'm not going to, I'm not part of them hype trains that seem to come everywhere and all this talking and all this like I've, I've had all that all my life and i've had people bring me down and talking and stuff i talking to me doesn't bother me i'm there to put my gloves on going there and i'm gonna fight you and if if you take me down that's fine if you knock me out sound i don't care i'm still gonna be in your face the whole way until that bell's done that's my job that's why i've got my name <laughs> i hate others it, it, it's, it's what you make of it and if you are genuine you, that's what will get you where you want to be. But that's a huge part of it as well, because when it comes to being such an honest and open sport, it works both ways. Your passion and everything else will shine through, but also the fakeness will shine through as well. That if you're trying to talk shit when that's not your thing, where it's not what you believe, it's not what you say, it won't have the same, I don't know, genuine, genuine, genuineness, I'll say that, it's not the right word. Ingenuity. So what be is genuine and also like if you hear like if you see McGregor's book, like you know, um John Cavanagh's book about yeah. everything, he talks about how this was just Connor who he is. This isn't an act he puts on. 
But then you get like yeah. the Bobby Covington who like intentionally put it on to be like you know the kind of the vision and that kind of stuff. It's a bit like yeah, <laughs> it's, it's got a bit of a sting to it, a bit of like yeah, it's not really like hits the ear wrong. No, so it's, it's just you can't feel it either. For me, you can't feel it. You can't feel the the genuine genuine. <laughs> Are you starting now? <laughs> I'll bring it as well. You have caught it off, you know. Um, you, you can't feel it, you know, and that's the thing. Like again, just just genuineness. Like you, as long as you're you, people will love that. Like Sean O'Malley the weekend done his hair like multicolored. <laughs> yeah. Like that was class. Like that's but that's him. That's who he is. Doesn't, doesn't talk it, doesn't move, so he gets in there, does his business, but he does funky stuff like that, and it, it makes the difference, definitely, for, for, and, and that's what people love, I love it, it's why I have my hair black and white, <laughs> you've got, you got to be you, you've got to be who you want to be, you've got to do things because you want to do it, because as much as people can influence you, you need to make it your own sort of thing, it's an art form in its own right, it's not trying to be a carbon copy of someone else, you've got to be your own person. And on that topic then, regards of your coaching, how do you find building structures around, I don't know, different levels and different styles? Because obviously being as complex as mixed martial arts is in a big spectrum, how do you find getting people into, I don't know, express their own style whilst also learning fundamentals? Um, I kind of, from my coaching style, I've learned a lot of uh, John, uh, John Roberts, obviously my head coach and people I've trained with. And, I was always told back in uh, judo coach told me Dave Elmore, who, who used to train who used to train me years ago. He said you'll always grab bits of each coach that coaches you. And over the over the years, I've I've developed my own coaching style through that. So depending on their level is also how you de- depend on how you coach them. So if they're a higher level, you don't have to be so you have to be more critical on little errors but complementing the fundamentals of the footwork, hands high, all that is just basic drilled into them at a higher level. But making sure that when they're doing certain techniques that they understand the different little critiques that they need. But at a lower level, such as kids that I end up teaching and that, it's all mostly drilling fundamentals. And then for both styles, so even from the lowest level for the kids to the highest level for the adults, they don't develop their own style is going, okay, Here's, for example, here's a jab cross round esky. Now, a jab cross round esky off the back leg. Okay, what can you do or how can you see you throwing that? Not the way I've told you, but how can you see you throwing that? And I get them to drill it on the bag, see if they put a feint in before they throw the jab, see if they hit the kick once and when they do a technique again, they they put a twitching just to see mentally visualize that technique not just on the back but also getting shadow boxing it as well so two different stages i also like to make sure that shadow boxing is a key visualization is the key give them a set pattern of techniques not that they have to follow that pattern exactly but just give them give them something so they've got some substance to work with it and then seeing how they would throw it how they initially would do it and let them explore that it's become their own style it is a really interesting sort of breakdown of that because again it's building that template and sort of saying okay this is how we want to sort of build your base but then what you build from here is up to you and we can help you tidy things up help you keep the f- fundamentals in check but as a whole 
if you want to do this there, if you want to zig instead of zagging there, that's up to you. But as a whole, make sure you guard properly, all this kind of stuff. It's interesting keeping that level of, I don't know, giving them that structure to work around, but also building themselves. And with that in itself, how do you like to coach? Obviously, coming from a school environment where you weren't comfortable being around those sort of people to then finding martial arts and being spoken to in that kind of way and dealing with people much like yourself who haven't been as, I don't know, well, let's just, I don't know, friendly with the schooling system, educational kind of system. How do you deal with that, if you see what I mean? I, because of all the, again, because of all the stuff I've had to suffer with and I've had off different people, I, my coaching style is quite a fun, friendly, but to the point, as in like, was a, you can have a bit of joke, a bit of a laugh, but at the same time, the emphasis is on the technique or the scenario we're drilling, or being able to properly do the technique and then having some fun with it, being able to develop it. But like, I wouldn't, I like to get more of a team spirit. So instead of just making sure that I concentrate, because some coaches are, are renowned for just focusing on one or two fighters or just making sure that it's just this person getting all the attention for these weeks because they've got a fight or this like for me i want to build a team unit so even though one person's got a fight going on i like to make sure that everyone's got that same focus that same happiness and drive and from people that come in who've done nothing i still give them the same attention that i would do for someone who's done it for for like been there for two three years and i still boost them up so even if they do something wrong like even if they put a hand in the wrong position or they throw a jab with the right hand down i'll just say that's good because you're still getting the technique but all i want you to do is to make it even better is just put that right hand a bit higher so i like to use my wording which i think is very very important because a lot of people will just go no that's bad no don't do that and it's like a negative reinforcement like i've i've experienced before where i want to put a positive spin on it because i get all i found myself from coaching younger athletes and coaching older athletes that you get a better response out of them. And I've got to thank the English hypnotist, Rich Hart, for that because working with him has kind of helped me develop my language, a sense of putting a more positive spin on everything we do. Now, the way you've answered that is really interesting because I was expecting more of a, um, I don't know, more hands-on in the sense of if you're had issues with your spoken word and trying to word things specifically but the way you've said that is even more interesting the way you've developed that to an extent you're more careful of the way you're wording things you're not going against what you already were used to of okay people were mean to me so i'm going to sort of drill this back in and you're also being more of a nurturing kind of coach kind of thinking okay i don't need to beat you over the head with this this is okay we're, we're growing we're trying okay awesome you what you try you put the effort in but I want to help you. I want to build you that kind of, I don't know, really being the coach, I guess you would have wanted to have when you were in that position as such. Yeah, I'd want to, when I'm coaching, I want to build someone to be the best self they can. And if I'm constantly telling them, even though they might struggle to get it, because I know I struggled with getting certain techniques and it's, you get, I've had an experience where it's like, no, that's wrong, do it again, no, that's wrong, do it again, but not having the, it's okay, you know, let's build on this, let's make this better. Not having that positive reinforcement, more of a negative, which a lot of people, even myself in the in the past, 
you all think that's kind of the right start. And then when you take a look back and you think, okay, maybe I need to switch this up. It gives you a more positive outlook on things because I don't want anyone else to feel the negative influence that I have had at the start. I want to keep a positive outlook and build, build, build people. Because if I don't build people, then one day when they're fighting where, I'm, where I am and then I've you know, took a back step a bit, I want to still be able to train with them. You know, I don't want them to and see them build and see them become a lot better than I was. That's always my goal as a coach. I want them to be better than I am now. If I can get them to a stage where they're better than me when they get to where I am, then I've done my job. Because this is the whole point of having a coach as such, like the sort of filter system of, okay, we're trying to work this out. We've made our mistakes. This is our finished product. But then you do the same with their point. You have they've got this point, you've got their sort of learning curves, all their experiences. Okay, this is where I am and so on and so forth. So to really strive for that progression is so important. And regards to your actual structure for your classes, how rigid is the structure as such? Do you give them one? Do you make one yourself? Do you speak to Tim Wilde as such to try and uh, work with him as well? Or is it just a bit of an independent thing? So when it comes to coaching, especially when the gym was open and stuff, um, I had normally a Wednesday night MMA class and then a Tuesday for Dollar Jiu-Jitsu for MMA. So... I'd work around that. So for the MMA class, it'd be more structured around just constant one-on-one mixed martial arts, double take there, setting up shots, instructions around the kind of people that would come in. So you'd have intermediate and beginners for a Wednesday class, and then a Tuesday class would be a mixture of intermediate, a few pros coming in, and then um, beginner level. So every technique I did, was able to be advanced on for the intermediate and the highest, but also kept to a level that the beginners would understand. So everybody in the class would be able to have that same confidence to do the technique and keep a good structure. Whereas when it was my own training, um, I'd speak to John and we'd organise either people like Lee, Lee Whitfield to come in from Bangtai Martial Arts or Tim when... We were doing a lot of training together, especially for the trial area fight for him. And then in the morning, we'd do a lot of technique work, work and, it, and it'd be kind of structured like a two-hour setting. But a lot of classes are normally structured pros in the morning and on the night kind of intermediate mix level for everybody. So I'm thinking more in the sense like curriculum-based. Is it like quite set in stone what you learn? Or is it more of a case of as you sort of, I don't know, how you structure that in itself in the case of is it the same core fundamentals? Is it in the same structure, same order? Does the content you're learning change that much? Or is it building these kind of things, you see what I mean? Yeah, I see what you mean. So more normally on a four-week basis, I'm going to run a class on a Wednesday. I do a four-week basis, so I'll focus on the double leg again. So I'll focus on setting up the double leg from standing to then hitting to the ground, controlling the position. Then the next week, it'll be from controlling the position to passing the position, from passing the position to a submission, and then week four, sparring, and then building it together, and then restart the week on a different concept. So it, it'll be throwing shots into the clinch, throwing shots into the clinch to take him down, and each week building on it. So the curriculum is based on a four-week 
four week evolve and then coming back to it every two months or so, revisiting the technique, making sure everyone's got it, and then putting little little tips and tricks in there just to make it that more effective. I mean, this is always an interesting conversation, how different people structure their classes and also what their priorities are and how they then build up. Because again, you get a lot of people with their quote unquote systems. You get people with different methodology methodologies of sort of, okay, we'll build up a whole frame and then build on these individual little increments and all these different ideas, especially with MMA as well. It's so diverse in the first place. I don't know. It's a funny one to try and get a finite system because if the irony is if you have a stri strict system, you can build a base. But by the time you build that base, the game has already changed. But if you then try and keep up with the changes, you never get a, a base in itself. So it's always a catch-22, really. So it's interesting to try and find that, that balance somewhere. Now, in your personal training, how do you find splitting the time between coaching and your own training with fights and stuff? Um, I try and keep to... I could try and keep my own coaching to like either a midday, midday level, or so anything after like a 12 o'clock to before four o'clock. I normally do a lot of coaching, a lot of my own one-to-one -one sessions with people, which which fits in with a lot of people because of work and having free time in the afternoon for lunch, they normally come into that scenario. So with that, it makes a, makes a difference for me. Um, with my night training, normally every night from six o'clock I'm normally training. So I normally either do Thai boxing on Monday, Jiu-Jitsu Tuesday, um, and sometimes on a Wednesday because I teach. I only do the hour just so I can rest to the sparring on a Thursday morning. So I'll balance it out with my coach on the Wednesday, rest after that session to then spar with the pros at full dimension on a Thursday, um, and then kind of have a Thursday technical technical training and then Friday morning, depending on feeling or I've had it off and then in the afternoon still still teaching and the Friday night. So a lot of it is afternoon based and sometimes on the night. Well, when I'm splitting it up, I always make sure that I'm not doing too much. So I'm at least doing three, three a day, normally three or four a day, depending on time. Um, but for me, um, it's all about consistency. So if I can keep consistent clients for, for coaching and one-to-ones and then keeping consistent training the day and night with the right amount of fuel, then it's, all, then it's a good one. I have found it difficult sometimes, especially after a Thursday morning because it's been a very hard session. Um, uh, normally on a Thursday night, I end up being tired, especially after teaching. So Friday morning is normally writ off. So it becomes a bit of a detriment at the same time. Well, this is always the sort of tricky area when it comes to train and coach as well. When it comes to being selfish, what you need to be to an extent and also managing the world around you. And on top of that anyway, like, how do you find like weight cutting and everything else going on? Like, how much do you cut normally for a fight? Um, I normally call, I'm going to do it in kilos, so I'm best off doing it in kilos. Um, I normally cook about five, four or five in water, which is not bad at all, but it normally comes quite easily off, especially for lightweight. When I was a featherweight, it was a nightmare. I, I'm never going to enter featherweight again, ever. I kind of left that one after the Christmas fight. <laughs> um, 
but when it when it comes to when it comes to that and balancing clients around training, normally a week and a half out, I normally call them off. So I normally say, "Listen, I've got a fight coming up. You're gonna have to wait until after the fight, and then um, we can get back started again." So I normally give myself a week and a half just so I'm able to cut the weight, so I'm not stressing about to be anywhere or go anywhere to see someone or go anywhere. And trying normally ramps down. On the Wednesday, so Wednesday night is my normally my last session. It's just a feel good session, it's just a pad session, a bit of visualization shadow. Um, just so I feel good, the muscles are good, no injuries, and uh, and stronger and ready to go. Um, I, I work with a very good nutritionist. I've, I've, I've worked a little bit on myself a bit for a year after doing my own kind of. Um, cuts really because I've, I've got the basis of how to do it so doing it by myself was quite a bit harder because even though I knew the formula and what I needed to do how much water to drink and that it's still not the same as having someone there but working with RXI um, has really made a difference to how I put my water because he got me to do an extra 8 litres uh, for the Wednesday where I'd normally only do a 4 and then on the Thursday just a 1.5 and then on the Friday, nothing. And I seem to drop the, the water quite very, very easily, really. So how is the rehydration? Um, rehydration is quite, it's quite a complex, <laughs> it's quite a, a good process. I've never wanted water anymore than when I would do rehydrate. <laughs> I've never, never been so thankful for water in my life. But um, it, it's just, it, it I've rehydrated a few different ways. When I say a few different ways, there's always the same process, getting your getting your body used to intaking your carbohydrates for a liquid form. And uh, also a lot of protein as well, just to help the recovery. But sometimes you feel hungry, sometimes you don't. Um, one time I've gone from 68 to 83, I think it was, before I walked in the cage, which was um, quite a, minute, a lot. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. 68 to... 83. 83, yeah. Fucking hell. When you said uh, that, I was thinking, okay, wait a minute. That's another 10 in there. I thought it was like yeah. 5 kilos. Like, okay, that's um, that's an interesting one. <laughs> you know. Yeah, that, that was, um, let's just say that I, I had a bit I had a bit too much water in me. <laughs> um, no, I'm not proud of that, that one. That one that quite um, heavy put on of weight, but I wouldn't do that again ever. Um, normally, I find if I can put about six to seven kilos back on, which I normally do, I normally get to from 70 to 77, 76. I'm normally quite sharp and fast. Anything below that, I don't feel, uh, I feel like I'm, I'm too light and I haven't got the same amount of energy. Uh, anything heavier than that, I just feel sluggish. Like when I was 83, I felt, I felt fat and sluggish. And I looked at it on the photo on FCC. Um, I look like a fat chipmunk, so I definitely not. Definitely felt how I looked. <laughs> I would never do that again. <laughs> That's awful. Uh, now, most important question of the podcast: Where can people find you, my friend? Um, they can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. On Facebook, it is Jack Badger Owen, or on my fight page, please go along and follow and Jack Honey Badger. MMA, Owen MMA. Um, on Instagram, Honey Badger Owen MMA 95 underscore UTC. 
and on Twitter it's just Jack Badrawi. Like, follow, and enjoy. Fantastic. These will be in the description.